Hi guys, I just wanted to hop on really quick and give a trigger warning before this episode starts. Um, if you saw the title, this episode obviously talks a lot about grief. We talk a lot about death. We talk quite a bit about suicide and religious shame around suicide, losing a mother, cancer, anxiety about death, loss of a pet, divorce, trauma, and triggers. Um, death is a topic that for me, I find very sensitive and I can have a really hard time talking about it. So I completely empathize with you if you don't feel like this is a conversation that you're ready to listen to, and that is entirely fine. Please pace yourself. Um, We have a really raw and honest conversation about it, and so it might be too much for some people, which is totally fine. It was honestly, it was really hard for me to have the conversation myself. Um, But in addition to that, this is our 40th episode, and it is also the year anniversary of Mindful Minds. And I just wanted to take a quick second to thank you guys all so much for listening. I will be posting a little bit more on my page tomorrow, um, thanking you guys and the guests that we've had, but this podcast has been so life-giving to me in such an isolating time, and I'm so, so grateful for all that it's provided, and I hope that it's given you guys a little bit of hope and growth and a place to feel safe as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a great one. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be chatting about grief, which I just told our guest that it is a topic that I am a little nervous about. Um, It's a topic that I've personally wanted to explore for a while, and I haven't found a lot of resources to get a lot of information on it, to be totally honest. So today, we're going to be talking about just grief, death, how to support someone who's grieving, um, what are some common misconceptions about grief with Lou Panisi of At The Grief Project? How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm excited to be here. It's going to be a good chat. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I was I was saying before with you, um, I think that grief is a topic that gets kind of left behind in the mental health conversation. We talk a lot about anxiety. We talk a lot about depression. And I don't see a lot of talk about grief. And I think even um, books and things like that, resources on death and grief and how to handle that. I've always been so hesitant to dive into any of those because I don't, I mean, you never know what resources will be good and what resources won't be, but I don't know if it's going to be triggering or too much to handle or too scary because it is, there are so many people who have like very major fears of death and so I kind of stay yeah. away from it. And I have so many books on like my like to buy book list about death and <laughs> grieving and like the Buddhist approach to death and like all these different things trying to get a little bit yeah. more insight into it. But but it's it's kind of a tricky one. Um, so with that being said, how did you get uh, why is this your topic of choice? Like why grief? Well, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Like, I think it's something that I've always been fascinated about. Even since I was a child, I was just one of those kids that really thought a lot about dying and death. And I loved cemeteries. I would beg my mum to stop if we drove past a cemetery. I was just always fascinated to read tombstones and see how people died. And and then obviously, over my life, I was doing completely different things. I'm actually an illustrator and I have a business called Totally Innocent, which is what I've worked on for the last 15 years. 
Um, but in the last five years, I've experienced a lot of grief myself. Um, and it sort of all came at once, you know, it was, excuse me, I lost my mum, first of all. And then um, one of my best friend's daughter passed away very suddenly. Um, she was only 19 and she was very close with my daughter in particular, but my all of my children. So that was a massive shock. And I think at that point, that's when I sort of realised I looked more into how you can support other people in grief, you know, because until then it was my own grief. Um, and then it just sort of, it just has snowballed. It, there's been a lot of other things that have happened. Um, obviously COVID has created so much grief in the world. Yeah. And um, actually last year, um, Melbourne, we were in a really long lockdown. We've, we've been in very severe lockdowns. Um, and I discovered that David Kessler, who is a grief expert, was running a course as a um, for grief educators. And initially, I did it for myself. I just wanted to learn more about grief and and sort of for my own self growth. I thought, oh, this will be a really interesting course to do because I've always been so fascinated by it. And then once I started doing it, I just realised there is such a massive need for. Um, like you say, for us to talk about it more. I mean, it's something none of us are going to escape. We're all going to die. Right. We're all going to lose people we love. And yet it's such a topic that makes people uncomfortable and a lot of people avoid it. So I've sort of, since I've done the course, I just really want to work in this area more. The grief project is something I started again for myself. It was just purely a space for me to pour out my feelings about my losses in my life and it's just become this beautiful community um, of other grievers and it's just, yeah, it's really changed my life. I've had so many people reach out to me and say that my page has helped them with their own grief and, yeah, it just really feels like I've found my purpose. So, yeah, that's kind of the brief rundown on my my grief journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I love that. I mean. It definitely is something that needs to be addressed more. And like you said, it's funny because not everyone is necessarily going to experience severe um, episodes of depression. That that might not be an yeah. everybody thing. Everyone yeah. will experience grief. Like you're not going to get away from that one, but yet it, it doesn't exactly. seem to be at the top of the list of, of topics to explore and learn more about. Yeah, and it's really crazy because you just think it is such a topic that really should be even discussed in school, right? Like everyone yeah. is going to go through it and yet it's just – and when my mum died, that's when I realised how isolating it is and how alone you feel and yet there's so many people going through the same thing and it's just not talked about enough. So that's yeah. my main purpose right now is to get people talking and thinking about it. Yeah, well – I'm going to kind of hop around what we plan to talk about just a tiny bit because I kind of yeah. want to start there. There are some people who are deeply afraid of dying. And then there are yeah. some people who are deeply afraid of having someone that they love die. Yeah. Why, why is that? Like, I don't know if there's a straight direct answer. Is, is that, is that an everyone thing? It does everyone have that fear to some extent, or is it something that, is kind of reserved for certain people where there's major anxiety around it. 
I think it's different for everyone. I mean, I know people who have no fear whatsoever of dying. I am the complete opposite. I am, I'm not scared of dying, but I'm scared of running out of time. I'm like, Mm. I've got so many things to do. You know, there's so many things I still want to achieve in my life. And I think as well, if you, when you lose someone, it can bring up a lot of anxiety in that way. I know my sister and I, after our mum died, she died of breast cancer and we just got this real health paranoia. Every little thing we felt in mm. our bodies, we were like, is this cancer? Is this cancer? Are we going to die of cancer? So it can be so many different things that give you that fear. I never had that fear previously. Um, but I think as well, it's, you know, we're such a society of being positive, we're so positive driven, you know, um, that people often just want to avoid the bad stuff. I mean, you even look at social media, we all know that everyone puts up all the golden moments. People rarely put up the hard stuff. And so we tend to avoid the hard stuff. And also it's really hard to watch someone you love in pain. And I think that's a big part of why people avoid conversations, being with people who are grieving. It's, it is a really hard thing to witness and not try to fix. People just yeah. want to fix people. Yeah, I didn't have that on our on our kind of list today either to talk about like toxic positivity. But I'm sure that deeply plays into why we don't talk about it. And also what harms people when they're grieving is when they're met with like, there's a reason or like, there's light at the yeah. end of the tunnel or some little phrase that kind of minimizes their pain. Yeah. And cause it's, un- it's yeah. really uncomfortable to sit there with someone when they're really struggling. Like I, is. I, I used to be similar to you where I didn't necessarily have a deep interest in death, but I had a really deep interest in funerals. I, yeah. I wanted to go to a funeral so badly. I told my yeah. mom, like, Like at a really young age, like I I really just want to go to a funeral. Like why do I never get to go to funerals? And I don't know if it was kind of the being a naive child and not quite grasping what a funeral is and like why you're there. And then the first time that I went to one, it was an open casket. And I told my mom, I don't like funerals anymore. Like I don't want to go to another (laughs) one. And my mom was like, yeah, I didn't think you were going to love it. Like I don't know why you wanted to go to one so bad. (laughs) And then something shifted in my like late teenage years, early twenties, I'm 23. And I have developed this, um, horrible fear of, of not me dying. I could, I could give a shit if I die. Like I really don't care, but of people that I love dying and specifically my pet, anyone who knows me knows that I have a massive anxiety. My dog's only a year and a half and I, it is one of those topics. I'm so open about so many things. I get on a podcast. I talk about all my shit. Like we go through <laughs> all my trauma. But when people bring up like deaths of animals or like, it, I literally will be like, oh, we can't talk about it. Like, sorry. Nope. Next topic. Like I, I just, I, yeah. I move on and I shut down. Yeah. And um, that's, let's, I mean, let's dive into a little bit of just the uncomfortable Social social discomfort, honestly, around like death and grief. Why why do so many people get just like horribly uncomfortable around the topic of death? Um, 
Well, we know that death is equals pain, right? We know that, like you say, you know one day losing your dog is going to just destroy you. And it's a, I'm the same. I mean, it's it's just a hard, it's just a negative thing. And it's it's hard to, you don't know what's ahead of you. I mean, I know even when my mum was dying, I had this sense that it's terrible. I knew she was going to die. But in my head, I was thinking, oh, I'm in my 40s now. You know, like I have my own family. I have my own children. I don't need my mum anymore. Like I love her and I'm going to miss her, but I don't need her. And then when she died, it was everything I didn't expect it to be. It was all of a sudden I felt like I was 10 years old again. I was like, mm. this is such a vulnerable vulnerable place to be in the world with no mum, you know. It's just like yeah. your mother brings you into the world. She's like that number one fan. She's always got your back. And even if your relationship with your mother isn't the greatest, my mum and I had a really um, tumultuous relationship, I guess. Um, but there's just this, it can leave you with so many things, you know. You can be left with regrets about your relationship. You can have your relationship may not be um, in a great place when it happens. If it's a sudden death, particularly people are left in one shock, you know, shock can last for so long. And then and then it's just, it's forever. That's the, that's the other thing. It's just, uh, so it's very normal I think for us to all be scared of it because it is a really you know there's so many elements to it that are hard so yeah I don't know if I've answered that properly but yeah no I mean I don't think there is a straight answer I was curious about what you thought about it because I I don't I'm sure it's different for everybody as to why they're afraid of it or uncomfortable around it but yeah I mean it, it was even there's there's been very few people around me that have gone through grief processes, I guess. Um, and I remember watching my mom, my mom lost her mom and her dad within like a few years of each other. And it was, it was a very odd thing to watch my mom revert back to being a child. Like she would cry and need to be held and need to be comforted like by my dad. And it was like very odd. And I remember at one point she was with us crying and said like, I'm an orphan, I'm an orphan. And I was like, like I like this is freaking me out. Like I hate this. I remember it was like, my mom saying the same thing when her dad yeah, died. She said to yeah. me, "I'm an orphan now," and I just remember it was so confronting to see yes your parent in such a raw, vulnerable state. It is really yeah. confronting. Yeah. yeah, it was. I think the only time my parents cry. I mean, like I grew up with my parents crying, but like the only two times I've seen the most raw sides of my parents in terms of like sadness was when my mom's parents died. And then when uh, we fostered a young child and she had to go back to her family and it felt like a loss and my dad. Yeah. And see, that's a, that's a thing too, which we'll get into that too as to (laughs) is grief just reserved for death? Because I used to tell people all the time, that I lost my sister and people would say, well, she wasn't your sister and she's not dead. And Mm -hmm. I never knew how to respond to that. And I was very young. I was seven. And so Mm -hmm. there was no space. My whole family was grieving at the same time and none of us were able to like own it and hold it as actual grief because there was no 
There was no like really like name for it or category for it because it was such an abnormal situation. But that was the time my dad like broke down hysterically sobbing, like vocal sobs, like in front of our front door. And I remember as like a seven-year-old being like, guys, what the hell is happening? (laughs) Like, why is my dad sobbing like a 10-year-old? Like, what is happening? And it's one of the most visceral memories. Yeah. Of course, it's trauma. Like that is, well, they call that ambiguous loss, which is um, grieving someone who hasn't actually died. So it can be, okay. like you say, I mean, for you, it's it's your foster sister. Um, regardless of whether she's your blood or not, that's just, it's amazing how people can minimize those things. Um, but basically it is grieving someone who is still alive. And actually my last post on Instagram that I posted last night is exactly about that. And there's parental alienation. There's um, there's friendship losses, you know. I mean, losing a really close friend through whatever reason that's a loss and people do grieve that there's so many there's so many different types of ambiguous loss and that is exactly one of them and now you can come back with that if you <laughs> if anyone says it to you yeah no that's i mean that's i think that's one of the reasons why and it, that's funny as well cuz i i tell people i haven't like experienced grief but i've experienced many losses in my life that have been very yes. traumatic, but not necessarily yes. like losses via death. Um, yes. But you yeah, know, it's I mean, even breakups, too. like br- breakups can be yes. brutal. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, my so marriage hard. ended during COVID, during our first year of COVID. So that was another loss. And yeah. yes, it's, it's a different type of grief because yes, that person's still alive. And but I was with my partner for 28 years, you know, my whole yeah. life, every little aspect of it has changed. You know, I'm no longer, we're no longer a family unit that we were. It's just everything is different. My relationship with my children have changed because of our breakup. You know, there's so many elements that include grief. And if you actually sit down, we did this with David in our course. One week he said, you know, we often think we've only experienced two or three losses through our life and he made us sit there and write down our earliest loss you know and then go through and write down all the losses we've had and it is incredible how many you think you have and then you start writing them and for me my first loss ever I was 12 years old and it was our dog it was our family dog who had been there my whole life they had him they had um Sadie before I was born so And I remember that so clearly. Actually, I was younger than that. I was probably nine or 10. And I remember the day clearly. I remember the heat. It was a really hot day. I just, there's so many elements about it that I remember. I knew that she wasn't going to come home from the vet. My parents were saying to me, she's going to be okay. And, but in my, in my soul, I was thinking, Mm -hmm. this is it. She's going, she's going. I'm never going to see her again. And that was exactly what happened. So it's amazing how. How many, even if you think you haven't really experienced grief, you probably have. And clearly you have. I mean, that's a massive thing to experience as a seven-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. We're 18 minutes in and I'm crying. So that's a (laughs) starting great. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, we had to put down my childhood dog and you, you know, they're, I mean, you're literally going there for them to die. Like that is the goal of the drive to the vet. and. I I remember everything about it 
And with my dog currently, I think the fear around it is I know I'm older, first of all, and I know um, I have the cognitive awareness to know that I love her more than I've ever loved anything that has lived. And so the fear is like, oh, this loss is going to be worse than anything I've ever experienced. And it's also, it's a pet. And so there's also some weird kind of thing with society where if your parent dies and you call into work and you say, my parent died, it's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Take all the time you need. If you call in and say my dog died, it's like, okay, also come to work. (laughs) You You need to get over it. Yeah. And I know, I know for a fact that when she goes, it will be probably the worst loss of my life. I think it'll, I think it might be worse than a family member to be totally honest, because she's the only thing that's ever been mine. I've ra- I raised her from seven weeks old. Yeah. I, I see her every day. I pour all my time into her. And so yeah. it's just the, and it's only been a year and a half. And I kid you not, anyone in my life has heard me talk about something related to, oh my God, if she dies, like, I, I've, I've, it's, it's like a constant topic in therapy. Like it is literally constantly me trying to figure out yeah. and almost game plan of like, I need to prepare myself, which is why I started looking into books and stuff as like, I need to get more familiar with this before it happens. Because yeah. if it happens and I am still dissociating and not letting myself feel these emotions out of fear, it's going to be so much more brutal. Like it is going to be so much worse. Um, That's amazing. I think it's so good that you are, yeah, looking beyond the everyday and seeing that that pain is going to be massive for you and trying to prepare. I mean, I don't think you can ever really prepare. Um, When it comes, it comes, and then you just hit with this tidal wave of different emotions. But, yeah, I think as well, like, people can really minimise animal death it's it's really interesting that you're talking about that because I know people have you know look it's a it's a really tricky thing with grief you should never compare grief with anyone else your grief is the worst grief basically David Kessler says that that the worst loss is your own loss and no one knows what that feels like for you so whether it's an animal a, a human a friendship, whatever it is, that grief should never be minimized by anyone else because for some people, an animal in their life is the only love they have, you know. Um, so when they lose that, whether it's someone elderly who has a cat or, you know, it can literally be like losing losing a human. I mean, yeah, they are like they're part of our family, right? I mean, we lost yeah. our dog during COVID too, and he'd been in our <sighs> family since my daughter was three. So he was 17 and it was just, I miss him every day. I miss him every yeah. single day. He's just his energy. He was just this beautiful old soul. And yeah, it's, um, it's just as important as any other loss. So. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned the going back, um, to like your first loss, because the first great loss that I experienced was the foster sister. And after that happened, I think because of the lack of aftercare, um, because none of us knew how to process that because it wasn't a death and there wasn't it. I think if it had been my, my blood sister had died, it would have been like, okay, well we need to go to therapy and like, we need to work this out. But because it was this weird in the middle point, no one knew how to handle it. 
And um, I ended up just shutting down. Yeah. And the thing with my my pup is um, I loved my foster sister more than I'd ever loved anything. I was just obsessed with her. And mm-hmm. after she left, a part of the way that I've explained it to people is my love tank for people. The top portion of my love tank, like the part that I could love someone the very most got shut off. And it became this reserve that it never got touched. And I'm I'm always really calm in crisis situations. Like my my younger sister um, has a has medical conditions. I grew up my whole life like calling nine one one and dealing with ambulances coming and EMTs in my house. And just have always been very quick. Like even as like a ten year old, like going and opening the door for like the like the EMTs and like getting things ready. Like always just have been very quick, ready to go. And when I got my dog, the first, uh, the second week I had her, she got stung by a bee because um, <laughs> she was stupid and stepped on it. Um, and I was, I she started screaming, and I, I, Aww. I didn't know what to do. And normally I would handle that very well. I dropped to my knees and started sobbing, and my mom was <laughs> like, "Fina, get it together! Like, go grab her!" And I was like, "I can't! Like, someone help her! She's in pain!" And I was having a full meltdown. And it it clicked like a few weeks later that the reason why I have such an intense fear of losing her is that she, without me knowing, accessed that reserve of love that hadn't been touched in like fifteen years. And I didn't know that she had accessed it. She did that without my permission. (laughs) And um, it was like, oh, God, like, I remember the trauma of that first loss. And now I'm like, this is going to be worse. And so the anticipation of the familiarity of what that pain was like, it Mm. just causes so much anxiety. Um, Which with that being said, what are some things that I know? I know, like you said, you can't always prepare. You can't prepare ever for the entirety of it. What are things that people who might have an intense anxiety around either losing someone that they love or dying themselves, what what are some things you can do to maybe get a better grasp of what that might be like and alleviate some of that anxiety? Well, I guess like, like you said, informing yourself about grief is probably a really amazing thing to do. Um, I know none of us really want to dive into that until it hits us in the face, but I think there's, um, you know, if you can just learn the basics about grief and understand that a lot of what society thinks grief is, is incorrect. So little things like for me, before I experienced it, I really thought grief was a period in your life. It was like, you know, someone dies or something happens and you get really sad. And that's another thing. I just thought the emotion around grief was sadness, but it's actually every emotion you can imagine. It's anger and jealousy and rage and then complete depression and like a longing. There's like a longing inside you that you just can't even put into words. Um, But things like one it's not a period of time. You don't come out the other side and you're back to normal again. It does change you. It changes you on a like a cellular level, you know, like it changes everything, the way you see the world, the way you value time. Um, so I think if you can learn, one, that grief isn't a little period that you get through the other side, it is with you. It'll probably be with you forever. I mean, some people process it, a lot faster and some people um 
have very uncomplicated grief. They can, which I think is amazing. I think some people know can just sort of um, have someone pass, feel really sad for a period, and then they do just sort of very quickly hold the memories tight and be able to smile. For me, that took a really long time with my mum. I couldn't, I found it really hard to hold the nice memories. There was just a lot of, it it was just a very complicated, lots of different emotions. Um, So I think if you just can be prepared that it will change a lot of things in your life, it'll change the way you feel about things. It'll change relationships in your life. Things like sometimes people that you think are going to be there and be really strong for you just disappear. Um, But on the flip side of that, it's almost like people who know grief have this beautiful intuitive way of picking up people who are grieving. Um, Mm. You know, like when I lost my mum, there were people that reached out to me that I don't know that well, but they've experienced it and they just had a way of saying things and acknowledging moments that just make you feel less alone. Um, So I guess, yeah, learning about grief and um, knowing as well that there is no timeline with grief. Like people sort of think and especially our society, we move so fast, you know. I mean, a lot of people feel really left behind after a funeral. People really Mm -hmm. come together when someone dies. They're so present. They want to help. They want to do whatever they can to help people. And then we tend to sort of have a funeral and everyone just disappears back into their lives, which is completely natural. I mean, you can't expect the world to stop. But I remember that feeling of like, being in the hospital with my mom and walking outside and just seeing the earth still moving and cars going by and people just going about their day and you stand there and you just think, why does no one see what's happened to me? You know, like your whole world's just fallen apart and you um, you just feel so alone with it. It's just crazy to think that the world's still, birds are still chirping, things are still happening, you know. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, one of the things as well is the timeline. There's no timeline. Like you feel a real pressure to get over it and um, if you express that you're not coping, people just want to fix you and yeah, you can't fix someone in pain like that. You just have to let them be, let them go through it. And I think for a, on a personal level, if you are grieving, just no pressure. Like take every moment as it comes because the minute for me I thought I was okay, it would just hit me again, like left of centre. It's just, yeah, it doesn't ever go away. It's just I can be having a great day, nothing's affecting me, and then a song comes on the radio and I can just be in tears, you know, like it just, yeah. So I think um, if people are just really aware to be gentle with themselves and not put pressure on themselves to get over it, yeah. Yeah. It's not linear and healing from anything never is. That's such a weird misconception about healing from literally, literally any type of pain is that yeah. it's just going to be like a progressive thing. And then there's a very clear end point. And I'm sure that's just because yeah. human brains like to have closure on things and like things to be a little bit more concrete. Yeah. But that was and a big like learning journey. Things. 
yeah, that was a big learning journey for me just with like trauma healing and stuff as it's like, I really expected it to be a a time, like a timestamp. I'm over it. And I would hit anniversaries of my trauma and it would be like two years, three years, four years. Mm. And I was like, why is this not easier? Why am I not over it? What the heck? Like, this is a scam. It, yeah. it can be really and difficult. And sometimes you are, you're so angry at yourself, aren't you? You're like, why am I not over this by now? Why is this affecting yeah. me still? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you think, yeah, do you think that the the stages of grief, do you think that that has actually almost encouraged society to think that it is a thing that has this endpoint and is linear in the terms of like you go through this stage and then you go through this stage and then you go through this stage and then it's over and then we've processed it and woohoo we're done has that almost been sometimes more harmful than helpful well it's really interesting because one of the things I learned is that the five stages of grief um when Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote them she actually wrote them for people that were dying not people that were grieving (laughs) Yeah, and it's such a misconception that every, but you're not alone. Everyone thinks that it was, it slowly morphed into this grief thing, right? And years later, yeah, years later, she said she felt that her words had been, you know, somewhat misconstrued because initially she wrote, she wrote them for people that were dying, which makes sense, right? I mean, if you found out you had a terminal illness, yes, you would go through anger, denial, depression, all the things. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then, but at the same time, they do fit with feelings of grief. It's just that I did think the same. I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to be angry for a while. Then I'm going to go into bargaining then I'm going to have denial but it literally it goes like that right you're like mm-hmm. angry one day you're jealous the next you're depressed the next you're, you 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 feel okay about it the next day you know and then David Kessler went back and wrote they wrote together years later another um stage of grief which is finding meaning which I think I think they definitely have a place there's um but yes, they are not linear and they probably have done some harm to people who, and also to, because society looks at it that way, they expect people to just go through those processes and come out the other side and be right, fine. Right, right. Yeah. So um, the finding meaning one's really interesting too, because it's not about finding meaning in the death. You know, you're never going to be okay with that. But it's sort of those beautiful things that people do, like like my daughter, um, when she lost Lucy, she started a business called Halu and it's clothing, um, but she donates money from every sale to the Road Traffic um, Authority, which because Lucy died in a car accident. So they're examples of finding meaning, like finding a way to honour your person and keep them alive in that way. So it's a really beautiful sixth stage, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come back to finding meaning at, at later because I, I think it's important to <laughs> talk about how that, how not to force meaning on, on someone else. Yeah. Um, but back to kind of misconceptions, what are some other common misconceptions about grief or things that might surprise people about grief that maybe if you haven't been through it might be beneficial to know, or even if you're trying to support someone through it and you see them react in a certain way, like 
what are some things that that the public or society kind of gets gets wrong? Um, I think for me, the things that were surprising about grief was um, how paralyzing it can be. You know, I know there was a period where every day I just couldn't function. I would get up in the morning and I'd st- I'd have all these things I was going to do and then I'd find myself just sitting and staring into space for like three hours at a time and I'd be like, and look, I was working for myself at the time too, so I didn't have that structure of going to a workplace and um, but I found that paralyzing feeling just I just had never experienced that before. Um, it's also really surprising how alone I felt. And I think over time I realized that you kind of think that grief is um that you're gonna go through it with people, you know, that you're gonna be have all this support and everything. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much support you have around you, you do grieve alone. You go through, you know, when you really fall apart it's very rare that it's with other people. It's often just completely alone. Um, I think as well, secondary losses is a big thing. Um, Losing, you know, when you go through a grief, you can often have other losses that that are complicated in that. And I know a lot of people through death have had secondary losses as well. Often people who have experienced suicide deaths um, can be really left alone because it's also, it's again another really difficult thing for people to talk about and as much as we don't want to admit it, there's still a lot of shame around suicide for some reason. There's some kind of, um, there were some studies done on it and it's there's some I can't remember the exact figures I'm terrible with numbers but it was something like when a person dies generally you will hear from like something like 80% of people in your life you know will reach out to you and when someone dies by suicide it's like 30% it's just oh. it's incredible how god that's terrible it's awful it's such a, and it's such a yeah it's it's no different i mean it's it's an it's a loss, but I don't know if it comes from people just feeling really uncomfortable and don't know what to say, or whether it is. Yeah, I don't really know, but it's a yeah. I can't even imagine how hard it would be. Yeah, to- there still is so much weird stigma around suicide, and mm. I, I not to put religion on blast, but I actually do think a lot of that shame stems from some religious shame because there's a lot of mm. weird. I grew up in the church, and there's a lot of. Um, I grew up in the church as a very suicidal child. So like there was a lot of conversation around if you commit suicide, it's a sin because you're choosing mm-hmm. when you're going to die instead of let, letting God choose when you're going to die. Or okay. if you're committing suicide, it's a sin and it's selfish because mm-hmm. you're just being weak and you're giving in. And the the funniest thing about that is like it, it it's not that you're weak. It's that you've tried so hard and you've got so much going on in your mind that that that's the, that's your last straw. It's, it's, if, if, if you, if you were weak, suicide would, would be the first thing that you did. If you had any type of mental, mental uh, problems or stress or chaos up in your head, Mm -hmm. that'd be just your first go-to would never try to process through it. 
And that still wouldn't be weak because you have a lot going on in your head and not, it can be really hard to cope with. Um, But I I grew up hearing that a lot of like Mm -hmm. that being a reason for me not to kill myself was, well, it's a sin. And like, I don't like, and there was also a lot of stigma around or a lot of uh, talk and confusion around do people who commit suicide go to heaven? That was another really big thing that was talked about was kind of this like, well, we don't know if they go to heaven because like they're choosing when they die and not God. And so it makes it, it, it's the stigma I don't think has changed as much. It's changed some in public view because mental health has been talked about a lot more, but in certain circles where mental health is still not really shame free suicide is also not shame-free. And so you've got all those like shameful stigmas and people looking down on you. And it's so horrible to then look down on the family where it's like, you're just trying to process. You didn't necessarily have a say in this. Like, and there's also, you know, the, the lovely judgment. Yeah. Even the term commit suicide is, um, I know I hate it. It's yeah, it's, um, it, look, it takes some training to change your brain and I still sometimes mm-hmm. come out with it. But, you know, it is like the word commit means, you know. Like it's a like crime. To commit. Yeah, it's a crime. And um, and when I was travelling actually and I was in um, England, my girlfriend and I found this beautiful little cemetery and we used to go and hang out there and to sit in the sun and write in our journals and stuff. And we were talking to the groundsman one day who came around and he's like, you girls are here every day. And we're like, it's just such a beautiful (laughs) cemetery. And we were very careful to sit, you know, in a space that wasn't intrusive. And and one day he said to us, he said, do you know where you're sitting right now? You are actually sitting on dead bodies. And we were like, what do you mean? No, we're not. There's no. And he told us that years and years ago, people who suicided didn't even get a plaque. They were just buried around the edges of the cemetery because there was so much. Isn't that awful? It's just like so they weren't even given a, there was so much shame around it that they weren't even given their name that, you know, there's no recognition that they were even there. It's just just so brutal. It's that's so brutal. Yeah. It's Can awful. I ask what would be what is better verbiage than it is die um, by suicide better verbiage died by, or Yeah, died by suicide. I did hear um one the other day that's a new term. Um oh, and I've only heard it that one time, but it was something like um death by choice or something like that. Um, gotcha. But yeah, I think died by suicide is generally, um, yeah, yeah, the chosen that's, one. At that's the one of those one of those ones that I've I've tried in the past to cut from my my vocab because yeah. the funny thing is is I have quite literally struggled with suicidal thoughts since I was like seven years old, and it has been something that is an ongoing battle for me and always has been, and yeah, I, I've still. I still will have, because I was raised in the environment where this was common, but I still will have thoughts where I find out that someone died by suicide and I, there's judgment or there's shame and I have to actively be like, Fina, (laughs) 
No, mm-hmm. like that is not fair because there's so much unlearning that you have to do when that's how you were raised. Absolutely. Um, especially, yeah, especially if that's all you heard all your life is that it is such a negative thing and it's selfish and it's, yeah, oh, yeah. it's hard to um, change that. And I, yeah. look, I'm the same. It's a real. It's one of those co- um, phrases that I have to really think about to not yeah. say commit suicide because it's just something I was raised with. You know, there's yeah, it's such yeah. a common phrase. Yeah. Um. Well, but we're moving... all learning, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> always. Hence yeah. this podcast. Um. Yes. The reason I started it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what about? What about being supportive towards someone who's grieving? I I know we talked a little bit about that and a little bit about um, the finding meaning and stuff. How can you support someone who's grieving and kind of what are the, what are the do's and don'ts of, of trying to support someone? Cause I know there are um, some very clear ones that I've heard from people in my life who have lost someone who have spoken out and been like, please don't do this. Like, this is actually yeah. very harmful and you're not helping me. And I'd rather you say nothing at all than say this. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really tricky thing because there is a really fine line between um, kind of toxic positivity and trying to cheer someone up and also just being there for them. So I think um, the things I would say is, to support someone else, um, what, number one, don't try to fix anyone. Like you can't fix it. And just be aware of that and even say to someone, I know what I say right now is not going to change anything for you. I think it's really important to show your vulnerability to people who are grieving. Um, you know, we all say the wrong thing at times. Like it's just, it's unavoidable because the other thing with grief is that something that might comfort me may be a complete insult to you, right? Right. So, you know, and something that comforts you, I might find really uncomfortable. So I think um, most important thing is to try and get comfortable with just being next to someone. You don't have to even say anything, like just sitting with someone in grief and validating their feelings, you know, just saying little things like, I totally get that. You have every right to feel that way. Um, I think often people in grief feel that their feelings, uh, people try to fix it so they it, it minimises what they're feeling and trying not to compare grief. So, for example, you know, if someone's lost, I don't know, just comparing any grief really is is painful for you can't compare anyone's grief. It's just um, I'm trying to get my words out. Um, yeah, just really accepting that that person's grief might be about a dog is just as relevant to them as you losing your grandmother, for example, you know, right. not going, oh, well, my grief's more important because I lost a human and you lost an animal or, um, you know, it's just such an awful place to go with people to try and compare grief. Um, trying to cheer people up, you know, literally just, you know, think co- comments like, oh, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about happier things, things like mm. that. It just, it just leaves people feeling unheard. I think the most important thing is to, the grief to be heard. 
Um, it really helps people heal, whether it be, I mean, I know with Lucy um, and my girlfriend, we talk about Lucy all the time. It's just, I say her name all the time. I send her photos that I find of Lucy. We talk about memories or if a memory pops up in my head, I'll send it to her and go, remember when Lucy did this? Or I think it's just really nice to help people feel that their loved one isn't forgotten. And um, I think it's a really important thing for people when someone dies and the funeral happens, they just feel like everyone moves on and has forgotten their person. And um, yeah, so always kind of acknowledging when they're missing or that you're missing them. And um, yeah, it's really important to say their name. Um, And, you know, also being okay with your own vulnerability and saying to someone you can sit there and say to someone I don't know what to say I don't you know that is such a lovely way to acknowledge someone's grief and just be with them and if you do say something that you later think oh my god that was so insensitive acknowledge (laughs) that too you know and say to them I'm so sorry if that hurt you in any way I'm still you know just to show you vulnerability and say I'm still learning as well I haven't experienced this I'm trying to be a good friend to you I know with Fee like in the early days I was just messaging her every single day going I love you and I want to I want to do anything I can for you and then I'd say just tell me to fuck off if I'm being too much, you know, like just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a really tricky thing to support someone in grief and you, it's really um, hard to know when to be there and when to disappear, you know, and sometimes you're in a space where you're like, I shouldn't be here now, you know, I need to get out of here, I, they need to be alone. And But just really being open and honest about your feelings is probably the best way to go, right? It's, yeah, yeah. none of us really know what humble. we're doing. Yeah. And not thinking you're an expert on anything. I mean, that's the thing with grief. No one is an expert on it because it's so different for every person, you know, and every experience is different. Yeah. Well, just like you have to learn how to date someone or be someone's friend and like learn their love languages. You're going to have to learn that in grief as well of like how, how they need to be supported in grief because that's kind of unprecedented territory. So if that's yeah. something that you've never been with with that person, it makes sense that it would be a learning process and not something that you just know the right thing to say all the time. Um, yeah. What about what about if someone is grieving? If there's someone who's listening to the podcast who just lost someone or um, even lost something, lost something that they were excited about, a job or a, an experience or whatever, mm-hmm. what would your advice be to that person? Um. Depending where they're at with it, if it's very early days of that, I think um, there's a big difference between like early grief and, you know, grief two years later, three years later, 10 years later. Um, right. But in if, if someone's in early grief, um, oh, the biggest thing I'd say is just be really gentle with yourself. Listen to what you feel you need. Everyone processes differently. Um, like some people just want to lay down and stay in bed, you know, and that's okay. It's whatever you feel you want to do is okay. I, for me, I, I know when I was in really early grief, you know, during the day I tried to get on with it and do things, but I found I would go to bed um, a lot earlier and that was my time. Like if you're struggling to 
feel anything. I mean, some people just feel numb for a really long time and that's okay too. Like we all just have different times of where it comes, where it doesn't. So, but if you're feeling numb and you're really irritated by that and feel like you want to process more, just try and take, even if it's five minutes a day where you just sit alone, if you know your triggers, for example, like I know for me, there's certain songs that just can bring it on, right? And, um, but if you take just five or 10 minutes a day to sit and really dive into it, even if you set your alarm so that you, cause you know, for some people, they feel like if they start to grieve, they're never going to stop. You know, if I start crying, I'm never going to stop. But if you just give yourself that time each day, And it can be really hard when you're working, you've got children or whatever is going on in your life. Often we don't even have the space to do it. Um, If it comes at you really hard, you know, just don't be hard on yourself. It just is your body's way of of telling you you need to grieve. So, um, yeah, I think just being really gentle, doing little, whatever those little things are for you. For me, it's writing. I love my head is very busy and it's really hard for me to often even know how I'm feeling. But if I sit and write and I don't think about what I'm writing, I'm not trying to write beautiful poetry. I just let it literally pour out of me. And it's really grounding for me. I just feel after I've written like, ah, okay, I know where I'm at now. You know, for some people it's drawing, just sitting there and drawing for a couple of hours or Some people it's exercise, like they just love to get that energy out and get it, you know, get that. Because in grief you can be really still a lot and very, and your energy can just be, you know, really stagnant. So for some people just moving, moving their body can be, um, can release it. So, yeah, I think it's just really important to try and work out what works for you. I know a girlfriend of mine told me that for her, she would grieve in the car. She said, "My for me, it was always, I'd drop my kids at school and then I'd turn up the radio and I would bawl my eyes out in the car. And she said, and then I'd get out of the car. That was it. For some people, it's the shower. Like I know for me, it was the shower when my marriage was ending because it was kind of the only space I had because we were in a lockdown and we were still living together. It was the only private space I had. So I would just like get in the shower, I'd sit on the ground, I'd cry it all out, I'd do all my thinking in there. I was taking very long showers at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just finding what works for you. And it can take ages to work that out too, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah That I mean, I, I, I've had similar experiences, which the more and more we're talking about this, the more and more I'm realizing that like, coping with anxiety and trauma and grief have a, seem to have a lot of things that intersect and kind of cross over. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm going through this with a therapist right now where I've had a very recent trauma that was unexpected and um, like they most are. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's one that I, I don't have the space to bring into my everyday life. Like I just don't. Mm. And I've, I've had the last five years of my life have been primarily processing trauma. And I didn't really want to process it in my everyday life. I didn't want it to seep into every crack of my life and have it just kind of be a dark cloud over, over things that I'm really happy with right now. And so I I brought it to her and she's known me for almost five years. And, um, I, (laughs) I was like, I don't 
I didn't process this at all this week. Here's what this thing is. Here's what happened. I, I don't want to process it in my in my life. And so she decided and I decided that it was going to be an only therapy topic. And that yeah. if, if I thought about it or talked about it in my everyday life, I was going to dissociate from it intentionally and yeah. kind of detach from it and talk about it like it's a story and not something happening to me. And then when I actually wanted to get into the nitty gritty emotions of it, I was going to only do that in therapy. And um, I that has been so helpful. And we've actually specifically, she had us do this at the beginning of my therapy journey because I, I met her in a support group for trauma and um, then was like, can you be my therapist? Because I like the way you do this. And at the very beginning of our support group, she had us design a container draw it, make it, paint it. I painted mine. And um, mine's like a treasure chest and I put little gems on it and it has brass fixtures and brass metal on it and it's wooden. And that has been my container for when there are things that are too heavy, too big. I can't deal with them in my everyday life. I can't have it be a constant. I put them in that, in that, that box and I lock it, but I have the key and I'm able to access it. It's not being thrown away forever. And then we pick a spot to put it, whether that's like deep in the ground. Right now it's currently in sand. We just recently (laughs) switched it to sand because I was like, it needs to be somewhere else. Um, It's previously been under the ocean, like been lots of places. And we sit there and we will literally talk through, okay, now we're opening it. We're taking things out. Okay. Now we're locking it. Now we're putting it at the bottom of the ocean. Now we're putting it into sand. And sometimes things sneak out without my permission. And all of a sudden I'm feeling it. Like you said, if something is triggered, if if songs for me are big ones too. So if there's a song or someone that I see that is attached to my trauma, it's like, it all comes back, but I have the awareness that I can put it back in that box. If I calm down enough and get regulated enough, which I'm sure if you're experiencing overwhelming grief, could be helpful. It might not always be doable. You might not always be able to put it all away, but it sounds like I, I love know, that to find it. Isn't yeah. it fun? It was completely her idea. Yeah. It was not my idea at all, but it's, it's been beautiful. one that has been, yeah, it's been super yeah. diverse too, to be able to apply it to a lot of different facets of healing yeah. and mental health. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, what you're saying as well about learning your triggers is also a really important part of it. I know for me, I, took me a long time to know what my triggers were. I just have this bodily reaction to things. and But once I really acknowledged them and went, oh, I'm being triggered right now, this is what it's so helpful with your healing to because once you know it, you're not as triggered because you go, yep, okay, he's in front of me right now. That's I'm being triggered. Okay, just, you know, stay in your body. And um when you know how it feels in your body too, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. it just makes such a difference than when you're just reactive to things and not paying attention to what that means. Yeah. Yeah, You can learn how to write it out. I think I need to make a container too. (laughs) Yeah, no, I literally, um, our support group, she was, which I've taken this from her, but she was like a major worksheet person our whole support group was worksheets. And so I have a binder of worksheets that I went through during this like eight week course. And I still have my like little acrylic painting of my treasure chest that is in my binder that like I whip out every once in a while to try to mentally have an image of what I'm supposed to put things in. Um, But yeah, the triggers, that was something that she had us do for trauma as well was make a list of our triggers. 
And I've since, I update it constantly because sometimes a trigger that used to be really massive is no longer massive and it, it takes a back seat. And then other times a trigger that didn't used to be a huge deal is now like my number one trigger. And so I'm constantly updating it, but I have put it in, I did this maybe two years ago um, on my own volition and I brought it to my therapist and she was like, this was a good idea. Um, Cause I, I, I needed, I, I was having a hard time taking the mental energy to explain to everyone in my life what things were triggering. Yeah. So I wrote out a guide to me as a human and included all my triggers that were, I felt like need to know triggers for people in my life. And I sent the PDF to the people in my life. I emailed it to them and was like, don't ask me my triggers. They're right here. Like, I don't have the mental capacity to try to explain it to everybody right now. And so here are the number one ones. And my partner, we talked about triggers at the beginning of our relationship. And he had so much anxiety over, well, what happens if I accidentally trigger you? And I was like, "Hun, you're you're gonna accidentally trigger me. I guarantee you." Yeah, and you I can't said, "Avoid it, can you?" Yeah, and I said, "But the thing is, is like, if you're making an effort to learn them, and get to know them, and be conscious mm-hmm. of them, that's going to mean a lot to me. If it's obvious that you're not, then sure, that might be a problem. But you're not going to have them memorized like I do because they're in my head. I'm living with them constantly. You're not. Yeah. So there's no world in which you have a grasp on them like I do." Um, but if you're making an effort, like that's what counts. And like you said, with, with trying to support someone, people will make mistakes, but I think having someone that's willing to support you and is willing to say, Hey, I, did I mess up here? And if I did, I'm really sorry that I think that's worth more than having someone just dip out on you because it's hard and awkward and uncomfortable and might take some humility. Yeah. It's good to be vulnerable and just say, I'm so sorry. And I've messed up here and you've messed up too, you know, like just own yeah. it. But yeah. But also like with triggers as well, like I I never knew, I really never understood triggers. I always thought triggers were something that happened, you know, through massive violence or, you know, world war mm. or, you know, that's what I thought triggers were. And it wasn't until I really, even with, death it was more my breakup where I really dove into triggers and realized how much they can help you too because they they really um help you become more self-aware and then learning how to deal with them but it's also really nice to know that grief isn't always 24 hours a day as well you know like you can live a really happy life and be and have a real you know and laugh a lot and be um a positive person, but still be grieving. And it can mesh really nicely too. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, because I think a lot of people avoid grief for that reason. They think it's going to be their whole life. Grief is your whole life. You, you're always going to be sad. But in actual fact, you know, over time, it you get better at dealing with it and it softens somewhat. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think. Well, first of all, just thank you for coming on. I, you have such a warm disposition about you. And this was a conversation that I, I I told you before we hopped on that I was anxious about and that I I had brought a lot of anxiety kind of to the table here, but (laughs) I feel, I feel better. Like I feel better about like, and this is something that I literally like never confront. So I was anxious to confront it like live on a podcast, but thank you just for 
the way that you speak about these things, I, I've I just recently found your page, like very recently, and I, I messaged you immediately because I was like, oh my god, I want to have her on the podcast because <laughs> I was looking through it, and it was all these things that I have like not known how to support someone through, or didn't know how to deal confront, or you know X Y Z, and just thank you for for doing this work because like we mentioned it's it's a topic that everyone's going to experience and it just isn't talked about enough and thank you for the way that you've just brought your gentleness and and warmth to this conversation too because i feel like it was healing for me so i really really Aww. appreciate you coming on thank you fina i i think you're amazing i can't believe you're only 23 i just think <laughs> you have this beautiful amazing brain and yeah you're so self-aware and my god if I was like that at your age I can't even imagine what I'd be at nearly 50 so I love I I will definitely be following your journey and um yeah I think you're amazing and thanks so much for asking me on I was so nervous about it I'm only this is the second podcast I've recorded and no um, way yeah, but I do love a chat. So <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you're you're a natural at it. And thank you for saying <laughs> that. But yeah, no, it's it's genuinely I have I've had a lot of people come on who like are instantly like, oh, I've never done this before. And I'm like, it's genuinely just we'll just talk. It does not have to feel like super formal. We'll just chat. And it's funny yeah. how fast people can get in the rhythm of it. And then we're an hour in and it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Like that that was yeah. okay. <laughs> Yeah, and look, I love people and I love learning more about people. So it's just such a nice way to um, talk about grief and get it out there because that's what we want the world to be, a bit more grief literate. And um, But, yeah, it's been so good chatting to you. I've really loved it. It's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Well, this will be our 40th episode, and this will actually come out the week of the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Oh, amazing. I'm so glad. I'm so glad it's this episode. Congratulations on your yeah, and congratulations on it too because I've listened. I haven't listened to all of them, obviously, but I've I listened to a few when you asked me to be on, and I was like, "Oh, suss it out first and see what it's all about." And yeah, yeah, talking about some amazing things. So it's really Thank cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. been especially during COVID with how isolating COVID has been. That was why I started it. Was like. I'm in a job. I'm a nanny. I don't have coworkers. And I was like, I need to be able to talk to adults and like have conversations and learn about different perspectives. And because I come from such a conservative like bubble, I realized there's so many different things that I've never explored perspectives I haven't heard. And it has been like so great for my personal life. Like aside from anything professional, it's been so like life giving for me to have conversations like this. Yeah. So thank you for being a part of that. And I also want people to be able to find you. So what what do you have going on? Where can people learn more from you? Yeah. So at the moment, all the only platform I am on um, with the grief is is Instagram. So it is at the grief project. It's the underscore grief underscore project. Um, I am hoping to, I'm planning on um, starting my own podcast soon, um, interviewing different people about different types of grief. And most of them are friends and family and people that I know have experienced some really full on um, grief. So it's been really good to do this with you too. And I might need to pick your brain a little bit about. Oh my God. Yes, please do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, look, long term, I have lots of things in the, in the pipeline that I would love to do with grief. I'd love to work with children and teenagers a bit more in grief, which we didn't even really touch on today, but that's a whole nother area of, um, yeah. And yeah, so I've got lots of beautiful ideas and I'm just 
trying to pace myself though because I tend to get really <laughs> spattered with my, you know, I have a million ideas and I want them all happening all at once. So I'm trying yeah, to pace yeah. myself and go just focus on this. So my main focus at the moment is the grief project and um, see, I'm picking up your accent project. I never say project. project. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it's, um, I just love, I love it over there. It's so nice. I feel like there's just a beautiful community of people that are, um, yeah. learning more about grief. A lot of them are grieving and some of them are just looking, like you said, diving into grief and looking at how they can prepare for it. Cause like we said, we're all going to experience it. So yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, if you end up doing a podcast, please let me know because I would love to listen and I will definitely like promote it. I think you'd be great at it. Um, Thank you. We'll we'll have to have you back to talk about children and teens and all the stuff we didn't get to because I'm sure we barely scratched the surface. Um, But thank you again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Yeah. And I love that like we're on the other side of the world and it's just so easy to connect now, isn't it? It's so great. Yeah. I know. That's one of, I've had a lot of people, actually like quite a few people in um, New Zealand and Australia that I don't know how I keep connecting to like that side of the world, but it keeps happening. And it's always so fun when I hop on. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I actually had someone comment on one of my posts the other day and say, I've really noticed that, um, Australia seems to be a really grief literate place and there's so many people doing really good things in grief. And I was like, wow, that's really amazing. I know there are a few podcasts and stuff that are coming out of Australia and I don't know, maybe we're a little bit more of a, um, I know it's funny too, because a lot of my followers are from the US and the UK. They're my main things. And people have said to me, you know, English people have said to me, oh, we do grief so terribly over here, you know, and I think a lot of people in the U.S. feel the same way. That Yeah, we um, don't do it well here either, I wouldn't say. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. But, yeah, thank you. Well, we're all just going to have to follow more Australian creators and <laughs> get, get, a, get yeah. a grip on grief here. Get, um, get on to well, the Aussies. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, thank you again. Um, and that's all the time that we have for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. You can rate on Spotify now and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. And as always, to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember you can always learn. You can always grow and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will chat with you guys next week.